0: All right, so a lot of information if you haven't been with us, but I feel like that does sum up uh, what, what the book has been about so far, this, this pattern that we see in Christ and how we as faithful witnesses can follow that pattern and uh, also have a, the same sort of impact on the world. That's how we overcome or conquer like he talks about. Uh, so uh, last time we did look at chapter 12. So that's where we're introduced to this figure of the dragon, uh, which is John's image for, uh, for the devil, for Satan. And you get, again, these symbolic images of the dragon attacking the church. The church is seen as this, the, the woman who's giving birth to the child. It, it also kind of seems like Mary, right? The, as, as we talked about in the very beginning, symbols don't always just have like a one-to-one kind of correspondence. They can mean more than one thing. And so there's this dragon that's trying to defeat, uh, God's people, and yet the dragon is not able to, and so, uh, the dragon is going to find another way, and that's where we get into, uh, the story of the beast here in chapter 13. So, uh, we're only going to get to the first, uh, 10 verses. Chapter 13 of Revelation has a lot in it, uh, and so we'll see who this, what this first beast is and how we can understand it. So, I'm going to pick up, the, uh, Actually, really the last verse of chapter 12, and then into uh, verse, chapter 13. Then the dragon took his stand on the sand of the seashore. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on its horns were ten diadems, and on its head were blasphemous, blasphemous names. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave it its, his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have received a death blow, but its mortal wound had been healed. In amazement, the whole earth followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who's like the beast and who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. and It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. So here we're, we're getting uh, in these chapters, you could say this unholy trinity of the dragon, the first beast, and then the second beast who's also called a, a false prophet. Uh, and, and there are some similarities there, right? In the way that Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, the spirit take their authority from God. These beasts are taking their authority from the dragon. Uh, but I would point out that, uh, you know, a lot of people when they're just, you know, casually talking about Revelation, they'll talk a lot about the Antichrist, uh, which is where I would point out that the term Antichrist never shows up in the book of Revelation, you know, a little fun fact you can impress your friends with there. <laughs> uh, the only time we actually see the word Antichrist show up in, in the New Testament is in the letters of John, First and Second John, uh, and John there is talking about those who don't believe that Jesus really came in the flesh, or that he really came from God. And so, in in John's letters, it's not one person; it's it's a type of person. If you don't believe Jesus came in the flesh, um, I, I understand you can. There is a sense in which the beast is the opposite of Christ. And so, you know, if you're using the term in that way, that's that's understandable. Uh, but it's it's not this antichrist figure that you know. Any you watch some sort of show that's you know supernatural or something that is talking about Revelations, they always put the S on the end of it. <laughs> Uh, they're going to talk about the Antichrist. And so that's always a sign to me that someone's not actually reading the, the words that are in the book. Uh, so really, this the beast is not so much a, a single person. It's a, a corporate image. Right? It's describing, uh, in John's case, really, the Roman Empire. Right? That was the beast in his day. This was the, the force the, that's working against God's people and trying to, to conquer them and kill them. But as uh, I've tried to talk about through this series, um, the beast, this image is not just limited to the Roman empire, right? These symbols, like they said, uh, I like the term they use where it's anchored in the first century to these original Christians that John was writing to, but it has uh, continued relevance for us. So we can just look through history, right? And think of all the times there have been beastly sorts of world powers that have worked against the way of the slaughtered lamb. And so revelation is revealing that it's, it's a pattern. Right? And so we are hopefully being able to, to look for that pattern uh, in the world even today. Uh, so the beast can be present in multiple times in multiple ways. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, it's showing us this is what it's like. Here's the kind of beastly ways of, of acting in the world. And there's uh, all these symbols that go with it, right? The, the horns that it has, those are uh, common biblical symbols of, of power. Uh, it's wearing these diadems. That's a royal crown. Uh, I think I mentioned before, there's another type of crown, a Stephanos, which is a crown of uh, like victory, like winning a race. Uh, so these are crowns that represent authority and uh, political power that it has. And then it talks about the heads, right? So the, the heads on the beast probably represent specific Roman emperors. Uh, and actually, we'll see this more clearly when we get to chapter 17. Uh, he's going to talk about some specific heads and And uh, there's a lot of different theories about who those could represent. Um, You just talk about this one head that was wounded, right? That that seems to stand out. That is probably a reference to the emperor Nero. Uh, They mentioned him in the video. He uh, was uh, the emperor who was at this point, if Revelation is written in the 90s, Nero was probably the emperor who was most responsible for Christian persecution. Uh, He was the emperor when both Peter and Paul were killed. So he kind of, I assume Nero loomed large in the the imaginations of Christians and even non-Christians. He was was a pretty terrible emperor. He's the one that burned down Rome and then blamed the Christians for it. And uh, Nero actually committed suicide. Uh, He stabbed himself in the head in the year 68. So that's probably what this wounded head is referring to. And there was also this uh, rumor or superstition that said that either Nero would return from the dead or he had faked his own death and he was gonna be coming back. We may see some ideas behind that in the book. Uh, historically, that didn't actually happen, but it was something that was kind of an idea in the air and Revelation may be, be picking up on that a little bit. He says that uh, it has the beast has blasphemous names, right? That's, you see that in, in the names it has and also what it does, it's saying blasphemous things. Uh, which probably most of these go to the titles that were associated with uh, the emperors of Rome or the Roman Empire. Uh, the emperor, for example, claimed to be a son of God. Uh, Caesar is Lord was uh, a major proclamation in the empire. It's what they put on their coins, right? So that's why Jewish people didn't like to use Roman money, right? Because it's, it's, it's got these blasphemous statements on it. Uh, Caesars would identify themselves as the savior, and so, uh, whenever Christians would take those same ideas and apply them to Jesus, say, Jesus is Lord, say, Jesus is the only Son of God, that was actually a political statement. That was challenging Roman rule and the way that their emperors saw themselves, which is one of the reasons that Christians got in a lot of trouble, right? That they were directly challenging um, who the emperor was uh, and who the emperor wasn't, right? So, saying Jesus is Lord was a direct uh, uh, refuting of what what Caesar was saying about himself. That helps you understand uh, why people hated Christians so much, right? They weren't supporting uh, this emperor, and they weren't offering sacrifices to him like everyone else, right? And that, that had a political side to it, as well as a religious side. Those things were very tied up in, in their world. And so this beast, it's, it's horrible, and yet it seems like people can't resist it, right? Right? Um, verse four, you see people saying, who's like the beast? Who can fight against it, right? They're worshiping the dragon who gives authority to it. They're worshiping the beast. It it just seems like, well, if you can't beat them, join them, That's what most people seem to be saying in this, that, well, it's, you know, especially, again, in this time, the Roman Empire, as far as most people knew, they did conquer the entire earth. So how do you stand up against that? Uh, But it also even gets into this way of thinking, Right. So uh, what is it about, you know, a powerful beast like this that makes it seem irresistible? What kinds of thinking, what ideas might be out there that's just, well, you know, I I guess we got to go along with this idea or even today. Right. What what sort of ideas that go against the way of Christ are just sort of so pervasive in our world that it almost seems impossible to resist them. Can you think of any examples like that? I haven't had any discussion yet, but I want to get y'all involved in What's up? Google all those things. Okay, yeah, everybody has to use Google. So, you know, if you don't like how they do it, well, too bad, right? Yeah, uh, we will see how, uh, I think, especially with the second beast. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a little bit, yeah, all these things. They're, those are, you seem like irresistible forces. Even companies like that can seem beastly at times, right? So, again, we see the way that these symbols aren't limited just to, to one thing. What else? What are other, other ideas that are in the air that seem hard to resist? Well, I look at
1: the time of heaven, the symbols that he had,
0: yeah, in the persecution that
1: he did mm-hmm. to the Christians, burning of the Bibles and stuff like that. He wanted the Syrian race. Mm-hmm. So, you know,
0: I look at that as uh, a political statement to the Christians. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously that's a very clear place in history we can look and see the, the Nazi regime as, as another beast that came about. And uh, people that were stuck in that, it's like, well, how do you resist this? And uh, one of the things we'll see as a in here is that a lot of people just, they just go along with it. It's like, well, I guess this is what we're supposed to do. Uh, and, and they... I felt like I weren't even able to question it, right? That's how we're seeing the influence of the beast. It's, uh, even if you think it's wrong, well, eventually you just kinda, it just seems normal because it's so pervasive everywhere. I think that's what John is seeing here. And again, we see it through history and that's one of the biggest examples. Any other ideas that seem irresistible? Uh, If we really think about them, it's, it's not the way of Christ. I wouldn't say it's irresistible, but I know that I think there's a very strong temptation, particularly in our current society, that humans, humans can figure it all out. Mm.
1: We're, we're capable, you know, power of battle all over yeah. the We
0: just work together. And, of course, well, there's there's always, there's always some naysayers that we'll just have to deal with, you know, however, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But if the rest of us all just got together and worked together, why, well, we'd solve everything. There wouldn't be any problems. Mm-hmm. The world would be utopia. And... It doesn't work but yeah. it's very it's you
1: try it right so, next
0: uh, next time we'll right? figure everything yeah. out right that's and yeah i mean the tower of babel next to babylon that's going to be another image that revelation uses for this this power that's everywhere and so for one thing revelation is saying no there we know that we need to rely on the power of god we need uh, to follow the way of the land if we're going to really make a difference in the world and at the same time it's also saying there's also a negative power that's at work when we think we're just doing it ourselves sometimes there's something influencing us in that regard too, in a different way, right? So it's revealing both the positive side that God's at work and Revelation's revealing there's a negative side at work here too. And that's that's why we're focusing on the dragon and the beast for so much time. So we know what we're up against. Um, so we're seeing that the earthly nations or empires, they have authority, right? Verse seven, that's it says that directly. And yet that authority is limited. So in verse five, you see this idea that it's, um, allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we've talked about how numbers work in Revelation. Uh, it's, it's not about what they literally say, it's what that number represents. So 42 months is three and a half years. Three and a half is half of seven. Seven is a symbol of completeness. And so it's, it's half of completeness, so that means it's incomplete. right? It's, it's a, I know it's very strange. This is how apocalyptic works work is uh, using these sort of images, these numbers, to say something symbolic. So it's all just a way of saying, yes, these, these beastly empires, they have power, but not ultimate power. They won't have power forever, right? We can even see that all empires eventually fall, usually under their own, because uh, they get so divided. All right, so then we get uh, a little bit more about this, this first beast. I'll pick up in verse 7. It was was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered from the foundation of the world. Let anyone who has an ear, listen, if you are to be taken captive into captivity, you'll go. If you kill with the sword, with the sword, you must be killed. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Uh, So first, I want to talk about this this phrase about the from the foundation of the world in verse 8. There's different translations of that. That phrase could go with those whose names are written in the book of life, or it could be talking about uh, the lamb who was slaughtered from the foundation, right? Um, Either way works, but they are are saying fairly different things. So if if we're reading that as uh, it's those whose names are written in the book of life, this is an image that comes up for those that are God's faithful people, uh, that that was from the foundation of the world, that leads into the the way of thinking that says all of this is kind of predetermined, right, that from the beginning, before people were even born, God decides who's in and who's out. Uh, I do not like that view. Uh, I reject that predeterminism kind of view of things. Uh, I think that uh, gives a negative view of God, ultimately, that God is just kind of picking and choosing Um, and we could say a lot more about that belief, Um, but I think it's better to read, and it makes more sense in Revelation even, to see that this idea of it's Jesus' self-sacrifice that is, in a sense, from the foundation of the world. Um, Giving up ourselves out of love for others, that's the defining characteristic of Christ, Uh, and so it's also the defining characteristic of God, if Christ shows us what God is, is truly like. Uh, uh, this is what I see in John 1, right? That self-emptying love is the the logic of creation, right? When the word becomes flesh, uh, it's putting into flesh that pattern of God is willing to give of God's own self. um, And that's what we're called to do. And so that's where the story's always going. So that's the sense in which the the lamb is slaughtered from the foundation of the earth. Yes, Jesus died at a specific time and place, But that example of of the cross, that's that's central to how the way the the world is meant to work, uh, the way that God created it. And we often go against that pattern. And that's why we we get all this bad stuff that Revelation is talking about. Um, And so then uh, we get this this final statement here in verse 9 and 10. Um, And I think it's basically saying, you reap what you sow, right? If if you're willing to go into captivity, that's where you go. If you kill with a sword... The sword will be killed, and here where it's talking about being cap- taken captive, I think this is more a captivity of your own choosing, right? that you're willing to be taken captive. Uh, it makes me think of what Paul says in Colossians two about don't be taken captive by the world's thinking, basically, uh, and so that's that's what he's saying here, right? This this the thinking of the beast of about how to use power, right? A lot of things that Gary kind of talked about this morning. What what works? Um, that it's so hard to resist those ways of thinking, but don't be taken captive by it. Right? Trust in the way of the lamb, uh, his, his uh, way of love and self-sacrifice. Trust that that is, is what really is going to conquer, uh, be victorious over, over the powers of the world. And then also don't trust in just the power of the sword, right? Recognize that uh, if you do that, there's going to be consequences to it. Uh, so again, it's what Jesus says uh as he's being arrested um about not trusting in in the sword in that way um instead we're called to to not give in to those ways of thinking we're called to endure right and endurance in in uh especially in revelation but in many places in the new testament is it's not about just well just kind of put up with it and deal with it you know just wait till you get to heaven it's no be strong still be a witness um it's not just passive. It's it's standing up for what's right and saying what's right. That's what it means to to endure. Again, we're doing it the way that the slaughtered lamb did. We're doing it the way that Jesus did. And so, uh, it it takes boldness to endure like this. Uh, it takes faith to trust uh, that if we do that, if we stand up for what's right, uh, God is going to still take care of us. Right? That's what the resurrection points us to. Is that. Even if we die for, for doing the right thing, that's not the end for us. It wasn't for Jesus, and so it's not going to be for us either. And so that's that's how it gives us the strength to endure. That's how it gives us faith. All right. Uh, any, anything else that you notice in here? Questions? that you had? I know we didn't have a lot of time for discussion this morning. Uh, but uh, any final thoughts as we're wrapping up here?
1: Yeah. Uh, the idea of names being written in the book of life from mm-hmm. the foundation of the world—I think of that more as foreknowledge, not predetermined. Okay, but, you know that, and so that, and that way, he would know, you know, through the centuries, mm-hmm. who is going to believe and who is not, and so their names are. written.
0: Okay, yeah, I think that's that's a better way to understand that, right? That God knows, God knows who His sheep are, right? Uh, okay. Jesus will use that kind of language. So yeah, that's that's also a comforting image. It's not like God doesn't know what's going on. Uh, and God is gonna take care of God's people. So yeah, thanks.
1: You know, you said something a little bit ago where the talks are people saying about the elect. Mm. And you know, when Jesus said, come to me, those who know me by my name, you know, that there doesn't tell me anything about the elect. It tells me that I have an opportunity to come to
0: him Mm and,
1: you know, to get my name in the
0: book of life and Mm -hmm. to be there and answer for my sins, whatever, before so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, what I see is God is calling everybody, right? God wants everybody to be saved, um, but God is not forcing that on people, right? And so it's, it's, we don't go too far and say, well, it's all on me and I figure all this out and aren't I so smart and God's lucky to have me. but yeah, we're responding to this call that God is always putting out there. Right? And so it's it's kind of, it, it goes together. God wants to partner with us in this. And yeah, that's I, I agree with you. That's how I understand what he's talking about, this book of life. We'll see that come up, especially at the end of the book. So we'll get more of a chance to talk about it then. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all about seeing that God is paying attention. God knows who God's own people are. Um, And what they were going through, and oftentimes what we seem to be going through, it feels like we're alone, it feels like we're forgotten or abandoned. And so all of this is meant to give comfort and say, no, God knows, and God is going to take care of it. You may have to wait a little bit longer, um, and it's been a lot longer than maybe we thought, especially what they thought 2,000 years ago. But we still trust that uh, God is paying attention, that the way of the Lamb still works. So in the meantime, as we wait for God's final action, we follow the way of Jesus. All right. Well, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Thanks, everyone, for being here. God, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us and care for us. Uh, We thank you most of all for Jesus, uh, who willingly laid down his life for us and even for his enemies. And so I pray that we can have the the strength and the faith to do the same, and whatever that looks like this week, uh, that we uh, put others first, that we act in love, and that that guide all of our actions. Uh, we thank you uh, that you are a God who is on our side no matter what we face in this life, um, our big and small challenges. Uh, I pray that we all will see you in the midst of those struggles this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.
1: Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>